Hi, it's me, Milo, and what you're about to hear is our unlocked recording of our conversation with Felix Biederman about one of the most galaxy brain thinkers to have ever lived, Malcolm Gladwell. So if you're wondering how everything is giving you cancer or why, actually, when you really think about it, the key to solving gun crime is if everyone grows mushrooms in their back garden, then go ahead and listen along. The reason why I've unlocked an episode this week is because it's been Christmas, so we haven't recorded quite as much as we usually do. But if you're a bonus subscriber, you'll be getting a bonus in your inbox this Thursday as per usual. Now, as you're hearing my voice, you're probably aware that the reason for this is I have some dates to plug. I have ill-advisedly booked a room in Liverpool to do my show on the 17th of January and I don't know anyone in Liverpool. If you live in Liverpool, if you know anyone who does live in Liverpool, please buy a ticket to that. It's a critically acclaimed show and it's going to be at the Hot Water Comedy Club. There is a link in the description which takes you to a kind of general splash page for all my gigs, Liverpool ones near the top. Uh, Also, I'm doing a date in London on the 18th, which is actually a filming of the show so if you want to come and see that and be immortalized on film and say hi to the guys, do come down to that. I'm also doing Leicester Comedy Festival in February and I'm doing the Vault Festival in London in like late February, early March. Any of those dates you can catch on the same link. And I'm also now doing Melbourne Comedy Festival in Australia in March and April. So do get down to those. Cheers and uh, enjoy the episode. The last time we did this, we did an episode about uh, a public intellectual with you, Felix. It was Steven Pinker. It was the new year. It was the first episode we did of 2019. And I feel like a lot has happened since then. Um, Like everything... Well, yeah, no, I I was just going to say that. I actually... (laughs) I didn't read the Steven Pinker book before the episode, but I sort of read it like during the episode. Mm. And, you know, okay, that was like the beginning of 2019. And I want to sort of been incorporating Mr. Pinker's like thinking strategies into my life since then. And I just want to share like my dick has stopped shrinking. That's like a huge. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's, huge it's, it's, it's a mental it's, joke. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. It was shrinking like kind of every week. And then it just, I started using his thinking techniques and it just stopped. Mm. Um, well, this was even before the- Stephen Pinker did his seminal legal text, uh, sex trafficking. Maybe it's more of a vibe actually. <laughs> Maybe it's yeah, about the friends yeah. you made along the way. Um, yeah, you know, I would, yeah, you know, in that time, like I learned, like, see, like similar to Donald Trump, I'm constantly visited by the mafia <laughs> come to my office to make deals. And it always gave me a lot of anxiety about possibly being pre- prosecuted for my associations. But Picker's legal strategy of like, oh, well, like the guys doing human trafficking actually didn't like me. <laughs> that helped me like a lot. I realized I could employ the same strategy. It's just been like, it's been a good year. Like Frank Sinatra says. I was picking up that prostitute to tell her that I didn't want to have sex with her. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Steven Steven Pinker is kind of like just intellectual telekinesis. By focusing really hard and pressing your palms up against your eyeballs, you can change the nature of reality around you. But today we're talking about Malcolm Gladwell, patient zero of of the pop science best-selling journalist idiot subspecies yeah. of human true gladwell on the gladwell alignment chart yeah so everybody mm. everybody listening at home take out your gladwell alignment chart and um put a big wet circle on true gladwell and yeah. nate can drop the theme song you put here. in your birth month and it helps you find out which gladwell you are <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to this week's bonus episode of Trash Future. Um, 
I am uh, Riley. You may remember me from every previous episode, free and bonus. I'm, of course, joined in studio by Milo. On the phone from Glasgow is Alice. And then joining us also by phone from the wilds of America is Chapo Trap House's Felix Biederman. How is everybody? Oh, good. We were discussing burgers and how they were going to make uh, the end of history happen sooner. Mm. <laughs> right, right. So I think I'll explain this again. Yes. Um, so what people have to understand, like, think about periods of strife in history, the 100 years war, the 30 years war, the other wars, like, what was, what was like, you know, how would you eat back then? Well, typically mm. what, 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 you know, eating meant was like everyone lived in a different like hut on somebody's farm and every farm produces the different stuff. Like if every farm made the same things, like the economy wouldn't work very well. You would just have like a mm. wheat nation and you'd have like a barley nation and that's not really how things work. So farms producing different things. If you were like a, like a normal person at the time, sort of a surf, you know, your dinner every night would be like you know, scallions and dirt if you lived on a scallion farm. Mm. Whereas like someone else they would just eat like uncooked, unrefined wheat. And, you know, what is what is, you know, in in the Tanakh, of course, the first TED talk, uh, eating is described <laughs> as like a very sensual, very spiritual experience, a sign of like former enemies uh, you know, making peace with each other because they're eating the same thing. Except at this By time everyone's bussy. Yes, of course. Right, exactly. Yeah. Everyone ate different things, though, uh-huh. at this time. Yet when burgers came about, significantly less children in the world died. You know, um, there were significantly less wars because it was like, even if you were going to declare war on each other over, like, you know, uh, some island that either great power had a God given right to possess or, you know, someone had weapons or so if everyone ate was eating burgers it was something very basic that we all shared and i want to mm. point out you know what is what do you see on facebook the the first thing is you know you're the real drug addicts i raise my kids what's this what's the second thing <laughs> you see absolutely glistening food yeah and that is that is I said this before, but like no one who's ever been friends with each other on Facebook has fought each other in a war. So that's just sort of something to think about. Exactly. And my name is Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That's when they knew it was kicking off was when Winston Churchill deleted Benito Mussolini from his top eight on MySpace. Yeah, right. uh, well, like they didn't have Facebook yeah, Church- then, they only had MySpace. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the thing is like Churchill, like he, the allies sort of like linked up, so to speak, like, they were sort of like, I fuck with you, you know, you're dope. Like, I saw this kid playing acoustic guitar, fucking fell in love with this shit. He doesn't have any socials. Like, they all, mom's they all bomb did shelter. that. Yeah. Yeah. Mom, and mom's bombshell, they all did that because they saw each other posting pictures of meals and were like, yo, you chef it up like a boss. And like the Axis. Uh, the opposite, they're in the Facebook group together, but it's like the wine moms who say fuck group. And so they're, they're, right. they're together, but they all hate each other because they have that like contrarian thing going. Right. Mm. And like everyone, Hitler was the alpha mom mm-hmm. and like everyone pretend to pretend to like Hitler, but they secretly resented him because he wrote a book called The Art of Subtly Not Giving a Fuck. That was a bestseller. He wrote it in mm. prison. And, you know, it was like from Bad Bitch Press (laughs) and longtime editor Joseph Goebbels helped edit it. You know, chapters that resonated with a war and depression scarred German populace chapters like um, stop trying to make Jews happen. It's not going to (laughs) happen. 
Halo, oh. I guess, in many ways, was the original Lena Dunham. Like, <coughs> yes, he, he was. Did it um, first. I was going to say, uh, actually, what, what you forgot about Churchill is that he's like a fave star guy because he's always doing those like little witty, witty retorts. Oh, that's true. You, he's a weird Twitter but, guy. Shit. But you, yeah, he was. Do just twit, like Winston Churchill just doing line break jokes about the Bengal famine. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting his Netflix yeah. special canceled. <laughs> Yeah, it was, that was a big deal. Like Clement Clement Attlee uh, was a comedy reporter who got him canceled, and it was like it was a huge deal. But you know, by that same token, um, Stalin was one of those people who would post pictures side by side and be like, you know, to liberals, these things are the same. <laughs> and that really, like, for the first few years, you know, the other great powers loved that. They were like, wow you know, you're so great, but then because his Abby was a drawing of a girl and they assumed Stalin was a girl and they would hit on him. But then when they met him at Yalta, Roosevelt was so old, like so diminished by his sicknesses. He still thought Stalin was a girl because Stalin was like very handsome, but like almost pretty, like a woman, like he was, he had like petite, mm. like a petite bone structure kind yeah. of, he thought. Yeah. Uh, and, but the other great powers were like, that's no, he's like, he did a reveal that he's he's a guy. Yeah, it's a, it's a catfish and thing. They, yeah, and FDR, yeah, he FDR just fucking died after that. Well, no, he F- just the died. problem he is FDR it. saw Joseph Stalin, we thought was a woman, and then just like got up from his chair to kiss him on his on the forehead and <laughs> rubbed it on the small of the back. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, his heart just started well, pounding yeah, yeah, out yeah. of his chest, and like there was an old timey <laughs> car horn. <laughs> the original Biden. Yeah, well, yeah, FDR is actually Joe Biden's dad. A lot of people don't know that. Um, and he went up to Stalin and he said something weird, like, you know, oh, honey, are you running away with my kiss or something? <laughs> and they, everyone was like, what the, what? This is 1943 and you can't, you're like, you still like can't say that. Sorry, oh, like, comrade, are you running well, away with I, my I, kiss? I've been, I, he's like, guys, I'm going to die this year. Um, and that was it, you know, that's kind of like how the allies fell apart. And it's like very sad. So here's the thing that last nine or so minutes of, um, of the theory of, of the democratic burger peace theory, and then the retelling of world war two as different kinds of posters and stuff makes a lot more sense than Malcolm Gladwell's actual theories that he actually puts forward, which I'm going to segue us into now, if that's all right with, Mm. uh, the assembled assembled multitudes no i want to go back and do the burgers thing for another 20 minutes <laughs> yeah we're about to get into the korean war as hentai segment that I prepared. so so um I've, I've got these i've got this in front of me i've digested a shit ton of malcolm gladwell's reading over the last sort of several weeks and i hurt my brain doing it but um i wanted to start off with a little bit of who is malcolm gladwell um so Malcolm Gladwell, like we all know he's a sort of famous doofus, but the roots of Malcolm Gladwell is that, and this is a quote from his, um, from what he said about himself, I decided I wanted to work in advertising. So I applied to 18 advertising agencies in the city of Toronto and received 18 rejection letters, which I framed and put on a row in my wall. Well, that's very normal. <laughs> There's, uh, to be mm. fair, all of the advertising in Toronto is just like, hey, bud, do you want to buy a pop? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I actually, this is illuminate. I did not know this. Yes. That Malcolm Gladwell was actually, he wanted to be a six god. Mm. Mm. No, he wanted to be Canadian Don Draper, but yeah. he just didn't have the stunning good looks. Uh, and his 
his tiny body couldn't handle all the alcohol. <laughs> C- right. Cigarettes, they make bitches like you. Uh, Canadian Don Draper, you've done it again. We'll get to the simple cigarettes, Don Draper. Well, 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 yeah, similar to Drake, you know, he had to sort of make it like he had to become sort of a star in America to be, come back and mm. become a six star. Yeah. yeah. This is the hero's journey that everyone talks about. <laughs> it's Joseph Campbell shit. Yeah. Um. So, um. Malcolm Gladwell, much of his sort of income now, in addition to writing these bestseller books, uh, he also gets paid a lot of money in speaking fees for banks, pharmaceutical companies, tobacco companies, and so on. Um, He's basically like a combination of Hillary Clinton and Sideshow Bob. Um, And so this is from the disclosure section of his website. he He has to disclose. Have I given paid speeches to companies or industries mentioned or affected by my articles? Yes, I have. If you've been affected by the issues raised in this program, <laughs> yes, I have. Yo, my money real good. I'm about to. I'm about to win a Malcolm Gladwell class action lawsuit. <laughs> We're about to get my Gladwell settlement. But like, you just get paid in insights. Damn. Uh, yeah, he just. It just means he comes to your house and gives you lectures. I have Mr. A- Mr. Gladwell, this court finds that your that your literature did not make the uh, the plaintiffs either glad or well. What do you what do you have to say to that? <laughs> oh, damn, they're selling PPI again. Damn. So, yes, I have on several occasions over the past four years given paid speeches on the tipping point to many pharmaceutical companies. So, did that create a bias in favor of the pharmaceutical industry? Who can say? <laughs> wow. That's- yeah. yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's, not saying, he's not saying no. <laughs> Great shit. That's rules. So, you know, he's that's a 50 50 shot of anything in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it when the guy whose whole thing is like, oh, you know, you can like systematize anything and like find the like the weird truth in like how all these big systems work is just like in response to his own, like, are oh, you just a corrupt shithead? He's like, oh, I don't know, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is that that's is a tough one. Yeah, the, the start of this book is. Um, Yo, people say things all the time for fucking likes, and it doesn't mean a fucking thing. Well, this shit isn't real. I was, I kind oh, of, wait, he's Faze Banks. No, I was trying to think of this, actually. Like, I, think I wish. Faze, I think he's Chris Lovell. Like, I think... <laughs> a little bit, yeah. yeah. Mm. Where it's like... You, you might have to explain Chris Lovell. Uh, Felix, I'm going to leave this one to you. Um... I don't want to like give too much about Chris Lovell away because like people try to get him in trouble, which I like. Oh, okay. I'm sort of against, I'm against. I'm like a I, I I'm like a civil libertarian liars on the internet kind of. <laughs> like if someone like spends a lot of time lying, yeah, I'm you're, just, like, you're not going to call the Marine Corps and be mm. like, "Yo, did this guy actually serve in Grenada?" Yeah, it's like people. Yeah, my my first my first rule is like lying is really funny, but like uh, so Lovell is. He, you've probably seen his posts. Like he first blew up because he would post these like sort of ill-fitting pants and blazers, like over turtlenecks and like sort of very gaudy aces shirts, and be like patient visit outfits. <laughs> and would get like nine thousand. He never, retweets. he never did them up properly. Like he, he would like have them either done up unevenly or do like the button of the jacket to the pants. But like they were all, you could always see his dick perfectly in them it was very well, that's funny what, that's what women wants is we we want a guy who <laughs> yeah. we can see his dick and we don't he doesn't know how to button a shirt um yeah damn but anyway like he would pose that he was like a a back surgeon for a while and he like clearly back wasn't. surgeon i'm not a back surgeon but i'll take a look <laughs> he said he was a 24 year old back surgeon and it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome it's so awesome but like women would get really horny for like they like he would just well, i mean i already am yeah 
I mean, Damn. yeah. He's giving, he's giving women, like, back boob jobs. <laughs> well, his great what about, thing, what yeah. about getting titties on the back? The be- Four the be- titties. The best, the best Chris Lovell posts are always the ones where he'll, like, take a picture of, like, eight different pairs of shoes that are probably just still in the store, being like, wish I had a girlfriend I could spoil. Too bad my last lady cheated on me. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, the Chris Lovell signature is, like, it'll just be a picture of, like, it's obviously, like, $300. That's, like, for rent or something. And he'll be like, uh, this is for my future wife. If a woman wakes up at 8 a.m. every day, she deserves 10 bands a week. <laughs> it's, like, it's like most people sort of wake up at 8 a.m. Like that's not like very uncommon. Like <laughs> so, he's, he took a he took a fucking day trip to Hawaii. He said he didn't actually go to Hawaii, but like he's like, oh, I was going to go to Hawaii with a girl. But uh, and I also paid her student loans and but she cheated on me. So I'm just going to Hawaii myself but he was gone for like a day <laughs> and like the like no one's ever taken a day trip to Hawaii and his he was like oh, I wish I had a wife to drink margaritas in Hawaii with you know the thing that they famous the famous Hawaiian drink <laughs> margarita. well what people don't know is that Chris Lovell actually lives in a pineapple under the Pacific Ocean yes. and therefore he yeah. can go on a day trip to Hawaii because you know it's not very yeah, far. whatever he so- wants but that's but yeah so uh oh yeah the last thing is like in hawaii he um like posted a video of his hotel room and the thing that like the biggest tell for him i think was like it was just like a normal like mid mid mid-range hotel room right and he like put he like posted a video of the shower it's just like a regular glass shower you see in like any fucking like a marriott or fucking whatever and he's like ooh, see-through shower you know i'm gonna do something in there and it's like (laughs) It's every hotel for the past 15 years. <laughs> I like, He rocks, though. Like, I don't think he's doing anything with this beyond, like, exchanging nudes with, like, I, like, I don't give a shit. No. He's not doing... I don't his fellow think he's, like, back surgeons. Dude. No, I, I, I also am going to go on the record as, like, Chris Lowville... Great! Don't don't yeah, fuck he's, with Chris he's, he's enjoying the basic hotel shower on a level that most of us aren't. <laughs> and, again... Mm. Tying tying this back um, to Malcolm Gladwell. Now that we know who's the who, I think would be impressed by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I've got another oh, yeah. sort of some of his stuff I've digested. Um, so we can one of the first like sort of Malcolm Gladwell anecdotes I have is that he went on. I, I think some of you all probably know this. Bill Simmons's basketball podcast and argued that Ni- that Nigeria would actually field the world's best basketball team if you can define Nigeria as including the Caribbean, all countries near Nigeria, and any country where Nigerian people also live. <laughs> That's a great point. Which is every country That's on an Earth. Amazing yeah, I, I can't be the yeah. only one who believes. Nigerians live in Japan. I, I can't yes. be the only one who believes that if the troops put a team together, they could dominate the NFL. Damn. <laughs> and that's what that's what means that that's what what's going to get you that Republican like state Senate seat. Just that. <laughs> just say that. Yeah. Because if the troops put a team together, it would be on so many fucking roids that it probably would dominate <laughs> yeah. the, NFL. Well, no, the, the, yeah. the, the The joke with that was that someone did actually tweet that. I think it was like um, gimmick hip hop group, the Young Cons. But I might be wrong about that. But the, the thing is that the troops actually do put together a football team and it's terrible. Army versus Navy is always shitty. Yeah, it's because every time the troops try to dunk, they just immediately crash and 14 of them die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, that is that is the funniest thing. Just like, 
no one in the NFL or like NBA, like there's no one who's like, oh, this guy is from the army. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is- it, would, it would be cool if like they were actually good because there'd just be a Gilbert Arenas event every day. <laughs> love it. Like every, every day someone would fucking blow out a gun, just freak out. <laughs> they would, that would be the only way that they would stop playing rock and roll part two at sporting events is because it would like, it would just like trigger like freakouts yeah. in, in, in between the like wall to wall Pat Tillman memorial segments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I also have some of his famous conclusions from his book Outliers. And again, I think we probably know a couple of these. So I'm going to do them uh, re- three of these really quickly. And then I have one I'm going to go into a little bit longer. So here's one tech billionaires tend to have been born in 1958. <laughs> 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 uh, Yo, oh, yes, if you're looking to just fucking cake up, mm-hmm. be born in 1958. Go back and do some Marty McFly shit. Get your parents to fuck in like 1957, and then you're absolutely gonna get like gonna what get an, this money. What an incredibly useful insight! Because most people who were born in 1958 did become tech billionaires. That's how it worked. Well, yeah, there was something magical about that year. What he's saying is they were just coming out of college at a time when personal computing was becoming inexpensive and widespread. And yeah, so but the, he's being the, like, the, the effect of this is like to be one of those like uh, lib posters online who's like uh, the hell year 2016, and then the next year, mm. oh, the what the even worse year 2017, just forever. <laughs> so by that logic, uh, 1958, it gets better and better as you go further and further yeah, back. Exactly, the year where everyone's a billionaire. Um, he also pushed. Let's the- all meet up in the year 1980. <laughs> <laughs> 1985, you could get a fantastic handjob. I'm talking really good handjob, folks. The kind of handjob you can't get anymore. They won't let you have it, folks. They took, they're taking it away. They won't let America they won't have give it. it. Yes, the, the liberals, the liberals, they looked at the handjob and they said bye bye. They said bye bye handjob. Okay. Oh, here's another one. It's kind of a gremlins uh, Trump. Yeah. They're a little bit too high on the high end. Yeah. You got to get you got to go low. Uh, But here's the here's another one. The broken window policing theory, which basically says, in short, that if you allow the police a free hand to punish minor infractions of the rules with overwhelming force, then you will use what Gladwell calls the power of context to dissuade larger scale rule breaking. Damn. Yeah. So if you just arrest everyone, then there won't be anyone in the in the neighborhood and then fewer windows will be broken. Mm. I love it when law enforcement is the punisher. That's my favorite way. Like, I love it when, like, you know, you, you like you park your car on a double yellow line and a cop comes up and just like shoots you in the face and sodomizes your corpse. And you're like, well, damn, well, I sure won't murder anyone now. Yeah, oh, I've been just dis- this. This neighborhood looks very nice. No mm. one's parked weird. Yeah, it's, and- it's, it's, oh, it's more contextualized now. There's more context. It's almost as though. All of the people who live here are terrified for their lives. Great. We call that the power of context. We do. Uh, so here's why, the third one. Why does one. he give these names to these things, by the way? Um, I think it's because he's like, he wants to seem like he's doing a scientific theory. And so you have like the theory of relativity or whatever. And so because he wants all of these things to seem like reified concepts if he gives them like um names with like capital letters at the front or whatever and it's like we call this the power of whatever it sounds like he's doing real stuff instead of just sort of shitting out of his doo-doo ass yeah Mm, it's i think that's it he's like huey lewis in the news you know just kind of like oh that's that's the that's the power of love that's what that is yes Mm. here's here's the third one that Asians are good at math because rice farming is labor intensive, <laughs> just like math is. This is the burgers thing. This is 
incredible. Mm. And, and so rice is a wet food. And so Asian cultures wrong. reward hard work, specifically unlike African hunter gatherer cultures. Damn. Because they don't have rice in Africa anywhere. Yes. Yeah. So basically, Malcolm Gladwell says- Living in Africa is too easy. Malcolm Gladwell heavily implies that um, people of African descent don't work very hard because rice doesn't grow there. Yeah, yeah, if, you're, if people- you're born in Africa, that's casual, you know? I'm in ranked rice farming. <laughs> Um, and yeah, he's just like, but he'll just think of something like, oh yeah, math, it makes, it needs you, you need to be diligent while doing it. What else needs, requires diligence? Rice farming. Asians are good at math. I bet that's connected. Ah, you really, you love to see it. You really do. I want to go with, with another one. And I kind of, I actually kind of picked this specifically because I knew it would resonate with you, Felix. It is... It is Malcolm Gladwell's scientific theory of why people in Appalachia are genetically pissed. Ooh. <laughs> Amazing. Ooh. That is in the American Hit sense, me. not in the British sense. Yes. So I'm going to read from this from the book here. So why was Appalachia the way that it was? It was because of where the original inhabitants of the region came from. The so-called American backcountry states were settled overwhelmingly by immigrants from one of the most for- world's most ferocious culture- cultures of honor. They were Scots-Irish. <laughs> No. Yes. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no. This is, I actually, Mr. Gladwell and I, we share a theory. And I do think, so the sort of Wisconsin, Ohio, oh, the guy who like wears the Thanos hat and is like, damn, every day is like the lottery. That's the Bavarian. Mm. That is the Bavarian who came yeah. to his, America. His life is full of simple joys and cream cakes. Yeah. yeah. music. Opt- yeah, optimism, having a good time, uh, alcohol abuse. Whereas the Scots Irish, for their their life is marked by alcohol abuse, uh, among other things. But they, it is a pissed culture, mm. you know. And if you were to look to where Hinder sold the most records, I bet it would correlate with sort of Scots Irish migration patterns. Mm. So, we, so, do we think that Trapped is a fundamentally Ulster band? Well, Absolutely. also the also the well, al- there the are on those murals, yeah, and the the, the, <laughs> the the alcohol the alcohol divide too between like the happy beer drinker and the pissed whiskey drinker. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, the classic. So I'm going to continue. I will happily murder a papist to get my hands on another whiskey. So uh, what he says is uh, the people of the region were steeped in violence, herdsmen scraping out a living on rocky and infertile land. And when they immigrated to North America, they moved to the American interior, remote, lawless, rocky, um, and re- reproduced the new world, the culture of honor that they created in the old world, generations and generations to come. So basically, he's saying that like is he people a Scottish in Appalachia, weeb. Like, <laughs> no, actually, I'm the would- samurai of this shit. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite uh, animes is the Highlander. <laughs> it uh, does uh, sadly not concentrate on the on the traditions of the Scottish Highland as much as I'd like. But uh, he's, he's a traditional Scottish blade in this film and uh, engages in typical uh, Highland honor. Uh, yeah, you actually- can see because I'm dressed in this very special warrior the, scoot, um, which that- is actually incredibly <laughs> manly. That, that, that the the senpai kohai relationship, but it's the big man wee man relationship. Mm. No, it's the uh, that kid that said. 
it's tape from the Hunway Forge video. That kid was Scots Irish, actually. Mm. Yeah, he was. Yeah, uh, so, absolutely. So here's what they actually did to prove this: is they did an ex- they, is Malcolm Gladwell then talks about a scientific experiment that was done to prove that people from Scots Irish are genetically pissed. Damn, where, was it called Northern Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> well, what they did was they took a. They took a, they did a thing in a university where they had a bunch of men who are either from the region of Appalachia or not, all grad students, fill in a questionnaire, and then they sent it in a hallway, and then they either fucked with them or they didn't. Then they measured how pissed they got. Is this the University yeah. of Wasp Studies? Like, you just get uh, so- bored and just decide to fuck with, like, the Irish. Kind of. Did they did they control for whether or not the person in the experiment was actually lucky because they were on parole? Uh, so, as the young man tried to squeeze by in a narrow hallway, the experimenter would look up, annoyed, and say the word asshole. For the northerners, there was almost no effect. They got out of the way five or six feet beforehand, whether they had been insulted or not. The southerners, by, contract, by contrast, um, would give only less than two feet. Call a southerner an asshole, and he's itching for a fight. Southern men are genetically touchy. Wow, I've been saying I mean, that. If Roy Moore proved anything, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, also like this, just to give you an idea, also of like the science, like how scientific Gladwell is. This was study was immediately disproven, like right away. That just well, you know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> yeah, that's that's mm. the title of my of my next book, which yeah. is just the shrug emoji. It, it, it's the wisdom a- of crowds. A similar study where, like, Gladwell plays just, like, fucking Fortnite for hours and hours against, like, gamers from Alabama and just counts how many times they use the N-word when he kills them. <laughs> oh, uh, that guy said Frank Sinatra. I'm counting that as an N. Yep. <laughs> you know, 12-year-olds are actually <laughs> genetically predisposed to be better than me at this. Um, I mean, again, he's he's right. <laughs> yeah. If you if you were good, if you're going to be good at Fortnite, you are likely to have been born 12 mm-hmm. years ago at any given point <laughs> yeah. in time. Oh, thank you, Malcolm. But like, that's the thing. Like, that's the essence of what Gladwell does. It's kind of like using phrenology to ch- tell you if you genetically like coriander. But somehow, anytime he's taken seriously by policymakers, there are disastrous results. He's found a way to like burn cereal. It is a. It is so stupid mind-numbing and nothingy and yet anytime it always goes horribly wrong for everyone he is the perfect malin influence he is actually chaotic gladwell <laughs> yeah he's like what if a what if a ted talk was completely wrong like as ted what talks if, huh? mm. well, no, but ted talks are normally they're not normally wrong they're just like banal and stupid but like they actually it's like what if the ted talk about how to tie your shoelaces didn't even teach you to tie your shoelaces <laughs> what if it taught you to tie your shoelaces so both of your shoes became tied together and they were like yeah, it just actively actually. misdirects you yeah well, this is like fundamentally why gladwell sucks is because like if i was hit like he could really just say anything and like that's the true test of character if you're at that point in your career is like sort of a bullshit public intellectual you can either sort of keep doing the same shit or like really do whatever because the same people will keep buying your books and you'll still you'll make exponentially more money until you die so, like, that could mean, you know, you do this bullshit where it's like, oh, um, you know, if you completely fuck up how you read data, uh, actually, um, people from Nova Scotia are uh, they speak uh, Japanese better than people born in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's like it's wrong, but like boring. Yes. But mm. like what he could do is like he could do a TED talk where he's like 
this is the best way to drunk drive. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't do that because yeah. he sucks as a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got you to gotta drive slowly when you're drunk. That's the rule. We need like a, we need like a, a Malcolm Gladwell for the for actual for the non PMC. Yeah. Well, like if <laughs> French French public intellectuals do this, like um, yeah, that's Bernard true. Henri Levy will do, will literally do like a TED talk about how to drunk drive better. I swear. <laughs> Mm. Um, you know when you have had uh, four glasses of Bordeaux and you get horny so you want to go and fuck your mistress but uh, you are too drunk to ride the scooter because you're in full off so you need to <laughs> yeah, take the family it, Citroën you have and to, like, uh, you need to you not to, run over the gendarme anyway look the cop can't see you if you wear a blackface you have the court ordered car that makes you do a breathalyzer to unlock it but you have to draw a little picture of the prophet Muhammad Exactly. <laughs> um, so I have a few more of, of Gladwell's. These are not from his books. These are just from his different articles. So here's Gladwell on smoking. If the campaign to curb tobacco use is successful, it could place serious strain on the nation's Social Security and Medicare programs. Smokers who die at 60 are likely to have their final bills paid by their employer's health insurance plan, whereas if they never smoke but live to 70, the burden shifts onto the public sector. Sure, Damn. Malcolm sounds great. <laughs> that's a great point honestly i didn't think of it that way it's like yeah it's like if really we we could save the most money if everyone was aborted at birth Mm. yeah we could well if you okay so anytime you smoke that's why smoking is cool we subconsciously understand this it all ties into like ancient legends right it's like jordan peterson shit Uh so like what ancient legend do we think of when someone's glumly smoking so they won't balloon the national debt and pass that, you know, that onus down on their children. That's that's the Terminator lowering himself into like molten yeah. iron. <laughs> it's it's a pharmacos. Mm. You accept the sins yes. of your society, but into yes. your yeah. fucked up lungs, and then you die early. Yeah, absolutely. So anytime I see someone smoking, I'm just like <sighs> virtue signal much. Exactly. Um, in many ways, like the original smoking was like living in a barrel and masturbating publicly. <laughs> Um, Absolutely. Still can be so, if you're not a coward. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's addictive too. So here's the next thing uh, he said. This is about Enron. Enron's numerous side deals were, by any measure, evidence of extraordinary recklessness and incompetence. But you can't blame Enron for covering up the existence of its side deals because yeah, it did openly pushing wobistics. <laughs> I mean, what I've been saying. Yo, people are Enron's going to self harm. Yeah, it, it, it's um, called being poly. Okay, and we can't shame Enron for that. Enron is just well, yeah, a small I mean, bean. Do you guys, I mean, like a lot of a lot of people who listen, they're like a little bit younger than me. But I remember uh, like when when uh, Skilling and, and Lay, they, they testified in front of Congress and they were like, where did I go wrong? I lost a friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it was damn. sad shit. It was their side. They had they were trying too hard at their side hustles. But here's what Godwell says. Yeah. It didn't cover up the existence of side deals. It disclosed them. The argument against the company then is more accurate, accurately that it didn't tell investors enough about its side deals. But then mm. what is enough? It scarcely would have helped investors if Enron had made all three million pages public. The art of the deal. I, I, I mean, you know, that's that's one of the dumbest things he's ever read. Because like, well, with like companies. Okay, like WeWork's a good example. Yeah. When WeWork went public, they had to disclose their bizarre ownership structure that is, I wouldn't say like totally similar to Enron's practices, but it's a similar like vein of semi-legal fraud, yeah. right? Um, mm. And it caused like, it caused investors, uh, potential investors, like potential like not malign investors, like pension funds and shit like that to be like, 
this seems like it will blow up. I don't think I'll buy this. And it cratered the price. And hopefully, like, the party most harmed by this would be, like, the assholes that own WeWork. It probably, it never works out that way. But, like, I mean, it collapsed anyway. So what's the fucking point? Like, he's saying, oh, well, if they, if everyone knew how bad it was, um, you know, it would have, the stock, the company would have collapsed. And everyone would have lost their money. But it's Mm. like, that happened later after Enron executives like repeatedly told their own employees, no, we're doing better than ever. Buy more mm. stock while they were selling. Mm. It. <laughs> it's like the same thing to pension funds and shit. Like it just, after they did like, they were able to do years of more evil shit. Like, like the shit they did to the California energy market. This is the, one of the shittiest arguments he's ever made. But have you, have you what, considered that the only two options are you either systematically lie about this stuff or you give everybody three million uh, pages of documents just to their inbox? The two genders. Yeah, yeah. You, ju- you just get Listen. giant like sacks like uh, Miracle on 34th Street and you just <laughs> dump them all on, in front of them. You well, eat- yeah, he, that's the other thing. He's making it sound like no one ever reads those, but like the reason that finance companies have people who they make work 120 hours a week for their first seven years is to read those. <laughs> yeah. That's the reason they abuse those people is to do this. Listen, you either die Enron or you live to, you live to see yourself become WeWork. And what, what I find funny, right, <laughs> is like um, that Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell will look at something that has two extremes, right, which is yeah, lie or disclose so much the data becomes useless and he's like well because these two extremes exist we couldn't possibly do anything else so no one can say where the limit is so we can't really blame ken lay for uh, for this massive fraud um and I, i've got one more uh, before we go into t- the book talking to strangers this is a fucking um, five hit combo like are these in quick succession yeah it's wounding um, me on american versus canadian healthcare. Uh, an interesting thing that about Canada is that Canada doesn't have the, and every dog is going to wake up when I say this, inner city problem that America does. <laughs> oh. Canada's uh, city is a donut shaped, actually. It does, not have a lo- it, does, it does not have a large and entrenched underclass, and that's um, a huge burden on a healthcare system. The cold Quebecois? A lot of the cost of American healthcare is a function of who we are as a nation. We're a country that runs up a big healthcare tab. We're a country that has yet to figure out how to address the social challenges we face. Which is big, fat, wet bitches. And as a result, the healthcare system carries much of the burden. Uh, and that's why, Gladwell then concludes, that's why I never trust cross-national comparisons of healthcare spending. It's just not useful until you've normalized these differences. You know, like, America's... Normalize the end of my dick. Jesus Christ. He's happy to normalize the difference between Asia and Africa according to what kind of farming they do, apparently. Yeah, but you can't compare the American and Canadian health systems because America has an inner city problem. All right, well, I feel like, you know, I did not come in this to defend Gladwell, but I feel like I'm repeatedly sort of thrust in that position. Uh, repeatedly would have gone to hospitals. The doctors are just talking about rims and hose and... There's like they're not listening to every, <laughs> anything like Everlast or Led Zeppelin, and you know I'm 13 mm. and I love this music, and none of my classmates do. They they like Justin Bieber and like swag stuff oh. and like Soldier Boy, and you know basically that's why my healthcare costs so much. Yeah, because well, the doctor the doctor is sagging his pants. The doctor's not and listening to smart rap that's about social problems. Well, the healthcare is free in Britain. No doctor's listening to lyrical cookout. 
No, they, they never, never. They'll never listen to Logic. They'll never listen to any of that. And it's like actually very sad. Um, but I do want to correct Gladwell. He said that like Canada has like no inner city problem, which is not coded at all. No, like, not he's at all. Literally, yeah, that's the least coded thing I've ever yeah, heard. The in cities my life. are all donut shaped in Canada. It's a well known exactly. fact. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only thing he's referring to. Yeah. But like, yeah. um, Canada does have one of the most feared gangs in the earth. Uh, Drake's OVO gang does terrorize the six. Mm. So like I would like to, but that is just one city. So. Yeah. yeah, and they mostly terrorize the six by stunting on everyone, and then you see their you see the diamonds, and then you have to go to the hospital um, to get your eyes treated. So like exactly, it's, that's a big problem, and like you can't compare America and Canada because yeah, we have the OVO gang, and in America they have the Treyway Bloods, and so the healthcare systems are completely incommensurable. Well, exactly, and Absolutely. You know, parents in Canada are always like, you know, you stay away from Drake's gang because if you see them on the street, they're going to come up to you and give you sweets and stuff. So stay away from them. <laughs> um, yeah, bad guys. But like, what all of this proves to me, right, is like if you think hard enough about something while trying to be clever and counterintuitive about it, you can just kind of invent data to say whatever you want. Like, you can decide that America's large underinsured population makes it a bad candidate for universal health care, and that a better program would be to distribute free cigarettes to the poor. Yeah, well, like, actually, ISIS, if they really got together and you know worked together, they could make the world's biggest hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they, they, they don't have the they culture do of hamburger cooking that like enables that no. kind of diligence. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> I, I think I figured out what Gladwell is. Like Pinker is just like Pinker is just sort of like it's it, he writes these like books that are pleasant for like people to read that are like, you know, here's a new type of thinking. But like Gladwell is like it's like all the capital in the world has chosen Gladwell to be principal skinner in the steam tam scene just point to every shitty thing in the world and be like oh actually we're having aurora borealis right now <laughs> <laughs> i was so delighted actually this is fine i was so delighted to learn that uh pinker and gladwell have actually been beefing back and forth in the pages of the have new york they? Times. yes i did have. not know this pinker this would this would not have happened if that <laughs> Uh, Pinker called Gladwell something like a facile thinker. It's amazing. That is big guns the same, coming from Stephen the Pinker. Same they Pinker. are. Well, they're the same one. I, I, I submit that there's a difference. I think Pinker has a million ideas. They're all insane and stupid. None of them work, but he has a lot of ideas. Gladwell has no ideas, but he can like recontextualize and like he can tell you something that like capital is already fine with, but it's the mm. problem of whatever. Like mm. he, he's, yeah, he's, I think he's never going to give you a cloud ship, right? Like that's at the, the very least. Like I think Gladwell is just like dumb in that he doesn't have any ideas. Whereas Stephen Pinker is at least like a precocious seven-year-old. Yes, like he does yeah, come. Yeah, he comes yeah, up yeah. with an idea where if like a seven-year-old presented that as an idea at like the future exhibition, you'd be like, "What a clever seven-year-old!" <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to move on to talking to strangers now, which is Gladwell's new book, and it's a book that he sort of specifically wrote to counter Black Lives Matter and the me too movement two things that if ever a book needed to be finally it was this one um i've been waiting dude and so basically i'll do a little bit of setup here here's why black lives actually don't matter (laughs) yeah kind of he actually does he said he says if blue lives matter and black lives matter then the only thing we can all agree on is that all lives matter well to make black Ah. and blue using primary color is what you have to do so him not (laughs) he doesn't say it in those words but that's what his argument is 
So Gladwell's premise in these tall tales of whimsy is that humans, and this is another one of his capital letter phrases, default to truth. That is, we tend to take on face value the things that people tell us, even if we probably shouldn't. And we also think that strangers are easy to understand based on what we interpret about them from meeting them. And that's the big idea that this book is all about. Ironically, Default to Truth really explains how anyone reads Malcolm Gladwell's books. (laughs) Like, oh, I guess that's why Asians are so smart. (laughs) Those fucking nerds. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking, I always thought Asians were fucking gay. Now now it all makes sense. So here's the thing, right? Yo, they're straight doing fucking rice, man. (laughs) Yo, yo, I'm rice, gonna, there's so yo. much of it. You have to be so good at math to count that many. <laughs> I'm going to go get get some yeah, exactly. of that bimbap, and then I'm going to d- fucking do me some accountancy. Uh, so here's the thing. This book contains some like genuinely awful and upsetting material, including an entire segment on why we really can't blame Brock Turner when he sexually assaulted that woman in a frat party. Um, and like, because he didn't have a background in rice farming. I don't know, but and this is also yeah. bookended by an account of Sandra Bland's murder by police in 2015 that suggests it was all a big misunderstanding and the result of bad training culture in police departments. So I'm going to discuss the latter briefly here by way of introduction because this is how Gladwell introduces the book. But generally, I'm going to not going to focus on those bits. I'm going to focus on the bits of the book that aren't discussed so much in reviews and that aren't as genuinely upsetting for this comedy podcast. Um. So, here is how Gladwell opens the book. Uh, We think we can see easily into the hearts of others based on the flimsiest of clues. We jump at the chance to judge strangers. And this is a blanket assumption of good faith. Um, This is me again. On the part of the genuine monsters where the world is reduced to a comedy of manners, right? In this world, it's easier to explain that the police are just sort of stupid rather than that they're white supremacists. Yeah, but they're, they're, right. they're bumbling through their, like, well-intentioned, uh, like, f- yeah. thinking about strangers or whatever. Be- because ultimately, all this counterintuitive... We'll get back into this in a sec, but, like, all this counterintuitive shit that Malcolm Gladwell does, what he's really doing is he's looking at all of the, say, widely, like, widely believed, but, like, powerful criticisms of these institutions that are, like that are getting more power, like that the police are a fundamentally mm-hmm. malin organization, and he's trying to explain them away, basically. Every cop every day trying not to shoot another black person is like Basil Fawlty trying not to mention the war. <laughs> they, like, desperately don't want to mention the war, but they yeah. just keep accidentally that mentioning it. It is kind of. from one crisis to another. Yeah. yeah, and so he portrays, like, something like the police as that, but he's trying to be counterintuitive, but really he's just saying what, like... That he's really he's just saying what's like most commonly believed about the police by a lot of people that they're basically good and defending rights, blah blah blah. You so, know, what's, you know what is funny though, parenthetically about this is that the one group who will never say this about the cops are the cops. Every time you talk to like a police union or something in the aftermath of some horrible crime that they've done, they're never like, oh, we're just trying to assume the best. It's like, yeah, fuck you, we did that and we had to, uh, and, yeah. it, and it was good actually. Well, it's because like he said, like so he says. Um, he, open, he opens the book. Uh, talking to strangers is an attempt to understand what really happened by the side of the highway that day in rural Texas when Sandra Bland was stopped by police and then found dead in her cell three days later. Where was now, she real by the passive voice. Yeah. <laughs> what mm. really happened, of course, is that a police officer murdered a black woman because he's a white supremacist, but Gladwell loves rejecting simple answers because they're simple so they can't be right. The Texas police just finding dead people in their police cells like it's off milk, being like, oh, I swear I bought that yesterday. What's, what's going and, on? Um, it keeps happening. Yeah. And he, <laughs> so unfortunate. he loves to reject these ideas because they're simple so they couldn't possibly be right. No. And, and they're simple, then they require you to confront an uncomfortable truth about something. There are these big ideas, and Gladwell loves small, imperceptible ideas that excuse 
use everything anyone in power does. Uh, you know, so he says he wants to say question your assumptions, but he never questions the assumption that the police are good or that the CIA is a competent spy force, which we'll get to later. So spy force, play the spy force theme tune. I will continue. So why write a book about a traffic stop, a traffic stop gone awry? Because the debate spawned by that string of cases was deeply unsatisfying. Oh, fuck off! What One- a fucking fancy lad to be like. Oh, the debate was unsatisfying. I was. This debate was not does not diver- please me. It's not a I pleasant not- little amuse bouche. The dinner. Well, wait. Is he? Is he saying? I think he's saying what he's saying is like worse. And he's saying that like people on some level, like agreed with his assessment, but they're like, Oh, that's not a fun debate to have. It's mm. fun to talk about how like cops could just fucking murder mm. someone and it, there, nothing will happen. Yeah. Black Lives mm. Like what he's actually saying is fucking terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's like, fucking, oh my God. Black, li- black lives. Holy black fuck. lives matter is, uh, they're not a fun protest group. Why couldn't they be like those hippies burning the bras? No, they're just depressing. Yo, listen, I went to that Black Lives Matter protest. I did not not once. I did not get so much as a semi. I want my money back. So he says, one side made the discussion about racism, looking down at the case from 10,000 feet. The other side examined each detail of the case. The racism plane. Yeah, Steven Pinker flying the racism plane, examining the case from 10,000 feet. Malcolm Gladwell. That's why the the feds haven't actually seized Jeffrey Epstein's plane. Is because they needed to look at racism. Yeah, it's it's exactly, um, yeah. civil asset forfeiture for the racism play. <laughs> so the other side uh, examined each detail of the case with the magnifying glass. One side saw a forest but no trees. The other side saw the trees and no forest. But each side was right in its own way. Prejudice and incompetence go a long way towards explaining social dysfunction in the U.S. But what do you do with either of these diagnoses aside from vowing in full earnestness to try harder next time? Abolish the police. No, that's a big idea, Alice. Oh, sorry. What, what, what if I said that with capital letters, like an, a capital A, <laughs> abolish the capital P, police? Experts call this abolish the police. Yeah. But, like, even if you, like, even if you weren't, like, fully, like, abolish the police, there's, like, a lot you could do that goes beyond trying harder. Yeah. Like everything, every other idea, when, it, when his ideas are centered around, like, saving insurance companies money, he's like, yeah, and I think just like half the population should be on dog leashes, <laughs> being, being like fed cigarettes constantly. Yeah, we should take their houses and they live in a big kennel, and you know, use their houses so the world's greatest minds could play Jenga against each other, and that's how we prevent another nine eleven. <laughs> is to use these houses to make the world's biggest game of Jenga, and so next time someone flies into a town, oh, also we're going to make it so planes like that they're uh, see through. But, like, when it comes to just, like, mm. like this is, like, even if you were just, like, sort of a, a Warren-type reformist, right, you'd be like, all right, there's, like, a lot you could kind of do to at least make this not happen as much. But Gladwell's like, hey, shit, man, uh, yo, all you all you can do is try. Tomorrow ain't promised. <laughs> 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 like, these, these people oh, are similar. He's Mike the situation, Sorrentino. These people are such yeah. Facebook people. Um, so here's one of the fir- book's first big ideas, and Gladwell calls this the friends fallacy. Before I go into it, I'm going to go around the table, not you, Alice, because you know what I'm about to say. Yes. Uh, what do we think the friends fallacy refers to? Friends, they're not real. I've never had any. They're not real. I don't. They don't uh, Toby, yeah. Felix, Felix, what do you think the friends <laughs> fallacy refers to? All right. So the reason that like Ross was good at archaeology was that he was friends with the Taiwanese child growing up. 
in the in the series, like in the can- canon of the series. Lathe of Here's heaven. Lathe of heaven. Here's the thing, Felix. He actually is referring to the show Friends. I knew it. I knew it. I, I like. I just like. I pulled something out of my. Like I. I tried to like go from existing Gladwell. I don't know what his thesis about Friends possibly could be, but like. I knew it would be like, I knew it would be because it's like every Gladwell book. It's there's a rhythm. It's like one of those pop songs. that has been written by the same Swedish men since like 2003 where it's like, all right, you know, tough idea first. And then like, all right, we got a little something fun, but it's going to make you think. Um, Mm. That's exactly what's happened. He starts out with brutal police murder and then transitions to here's what's interesting about the show friends. And here's why it explains all that murder. Damn. Um, So here's what he says. A standard season of Friends has so many twists and turns of plot, narrative, emotion that it seems as though viewers would need a flowchart to make sure they don't lose their way. No, it but doesn't. in reality, how how stupid do you have to be to be like, yeah, I try to keep up with Friends, but it's just too like it's yeah, too you have to, have to like read a watching the fan group. Yeah. <laughs> like that's your Evangelion. <laughs> <laughs> He's just it's like Friends is prestige TV to Malcolm Gladwell. He's like, wow, the TV truly is the new movies. It's <laughs> Ross trying to Friends wear is pants. like Friends is like the film Memento. Like you have to watch it like three times to make proper sense of so, it. So he, here's what he says. But that is re- the most revealing thing he's ever said. <laughs> Friends, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. um how I Met Your Mother is fun, but like yeah. I'm into really complex shit like Frasier. <laughs> Remember that episode? I don't think you have the. I don't think you have the. I don't think you have the IQ to understand Becker. <laughs> <laughs> Just watching Friends know. with the subs instead of the dubs. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, this is more of a Dharma and Greg household, actually. <laughs> Um, so he says, but in reality, it is almost impossible to get confused watching Friends. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get through some of these sentences. It's nearly almost impossible. Think, Not impossible. I, it's a real journey. Wow, Friends is so complicated. Good thing it's hard to get confused. I try I try watching Friends in Vietnamese, then I find it more confusing. Well, that's actually, I get better at math. Weirdly, Milo, again, you, that's kind of what he says. He says, I think you could probably follow along even if you turned off the sound. So how is it, he then segues into this, how is it that judges do a worse job of evaluating defendants for bail than a computer program? (laughs) Damn. What? This this section... This section of talking to strangers is an attempt to answer this puzzle by talking about how the show Friends is very transparent and easy to follow. That's his <laughs> segue. It's from, from sitcoms are formulaic to why do judges why are judges racist? Come on, everyone know everyone wants to hear how he puts these together. Oh, absolutely. To test this, but like he didn't even put his premise no. together. Like he was, I don't know. I guess like. He's at the point where no one actually edits it because like the way he wrote the preamble to the friends thing was like, no one could possibly keep up with all the plots and twists and turns. Oh, but actually it's very easy to like, he didn't, he didn't put enough conditionals in the first few sentences. Yo, that's, that show he, friends is complicated. Good thing. It's good thing you have me to guide you. Yeah. <laughs> the hero's journey, but it's an episode of friends. But actually friends is quite easy to follow. Unlike really complex television, like storage wars or Maury. So that kind of stuff you really need to think about. So he says to test this idea, I don't know what idea is testing, but whatever. I contacted a psychologist who teaches at UMass, uh, an expert in FACS, which stands for Facial Action Coding System. Pronounced her analysis for some reason. Her analysis, her analysis tells us that the actors and friends make sure that every emotion their character is supposed to feel in their heart is expressed perfectly on their face. It's called acting! <laughs> That's what actors do! Malcolm Stanislavski. What's happening to the character is happening to them! It's called <laughs> acting! It's that people have been doing it for thousands! 
years. Yeah, Each but, but they didn't think about implementing it on their faces. Well, you know, like the thing is, like when Barney the dinosaur wants to intimate that like something he's saying is important, the camera zooms in. Yes, on damn. And this is like actually a very intelligent show, like the way it's designed, and we could yeah. actually learn how to like no longer have disparities in the criminal justice system if we follow the Barney. I'm, model. I'm just worried when that- it gets really deep, it zooms in on Barney's ass. <laughs> I'm just, re- I'm, I'm very worried that alienated young white men will watch Barney and then and then start imitating the behavior. Of this <laughs> also, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I hope that rant was worth it because we probably woke up the like the Australian vegan YouTuber who lives in the office next door. <laughs> so when when Monica is worried that Ross doesn't approve of her relationship with Chandler, she looks. What what she looks like? What they uh, a facial expert would call fake happy. When Ross reveals that he's thrilled, they both look real happy. The actors' performances in Friends are transparent, and transparency is the idea that people's <sighs> behavior and demeanor provides an authentic and reliable window onto the way they feel on the inside. Uh, he uh, wait has Gladwell just discovered that most people aren't autistic? Is that yes, is that he's, his he's big discovered discovery? that the TV doesn't have little people in there acting out shadow puppetry? But like, don't forget that thing. Also, that thing I read about friends, I condensed it a lot. It was several pages long in the book and described in great detail the individual muscle movements on the actors' faces in technical terms. Like the guys just padding out a word count. It's a situation where Joey Tribbiani is on two dates at once. Now, <laughs> you look at his face as he realizes the predicament he's in. One eyebrow raises. <laughs> yes. You know what? Yes. Like, yes, that is. You. Oh no. Fuck. Fuck Johnny's son. This is the real book written by an alien. <laughs> this is the most extraterrestrial shit. Like, it just... Like, it, it... I know that the people who, like, read Gladwell's book, they're either, like, sort of guilty center-right people or just, like, dopes. But, like, I would presume all of them, like, know that an actor employs their face when acting. You would think, but, like, the, I think mm. the padding helps this, because then you can think about how smart you are, because you've read 60 pages or whatever uh, of difficult yeah. ideas. Like, if, if you I just read the, the sentence, actors act with a face, then... There's just some like there's just some like housewife in Delaware watching Ace Ventura Pet Detective going, Why does the main actor keep having all these weird seizures? It really detracts <laughs> from my enjoyment of the performance. <laughs> um <laughs> So let's let's just continue here with Gladwell's anecdote about Neville Chamberlain. Oh fucking hell. I, I met Neville <laughs> Chamberlain at a charity. He was very down to earth and surprisingly funny. Um, been waiting for his stance on Neville Chamberlain so for ages. Neville Chamberlain's negotiations with Adolf Hitler are widely regarded as one of the great follies of the Second World War. Folks, very bad deal. He went to get a deal. He couldn't get a deal. Folks, he, can't, he doesn't know deals. No, Neville Chamberlain, the No Deal Prime Minister. Hitler uh, said bye-bye. <laughs> Chamberlain, wrote to, Chamberlain, after meeting uh, Hitler, wrote to his sister, Hitler's appearance and manner when I saw him appeared to show that the storm signals were up, but then he gave me the double handshake that he reserved specially for friendly demonstrations. Damn, it sounds like Neville Chamberlain was a fucking idiot. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, he could have done better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't really believe in, like, Monday morning coaching, yeah. but... Uh, no, he could have done better. Yeah, I mean, uh, when um when Hitler gave me this this the secret handshake that he only does with his best friends, I thought he was telling the truth. And then we did like a Blood Brothers thing, but it turns out <laughs> I just got several diseases. Yeah. 
Hitler had this special handshake that he reserved for people he really respected, where he actually reached down and like felt for your foreskin to see if it was there or not. And that was his truest sign of respect. So, Chamberlain, and here's where Gladwell gets into the theory. Chamberlain was acting on the assumption that we follow in our efforts to make sense of strangers. We believe that the information gathered from a personal interaction is uniquely valuable. You would never hire a babysitter for your children without meeting that person first. And companies don't hire employees blind. They interview them over and over again. Completely do hired Chamberlain- Hitler as a babysitter. <laughs> They do what Chamberlain did. They look people in the eye, observe their demeanor and behavior, and draw conclusions. He gave me the double handshake. Yet all that extra information Chamberlain gathered from his personal interactions with Hitler didn't help him see Hitler's true intentions more clearly. It did the opposite. So it's a Malcolm Gladwell way of saying things like, um, realize, realize, realize. (laughs) (laughs) Is is the cover of this book just the S that everyone used to draw? (laughs) He literally, he took how, I don't know how many pages to describe the act of lying. Yeah. This is the most, like, dog, just fucking trade Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) You want money that bad? Like, fucking Jesus. Um, But how did this get made? Here's the great thing. I mean, I get people buy this shit. Here's the incredible thing. Um, Gladwell goes on to do one of his capital letter big concepts from this. Of course, he fucking the conclusion does. He dra- <clears throat> so the conclusion he draws from this is that appeasement we call happened- call it the Hitler babysitter phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> if only- uh, well, When someone was your babysitter, you find it hard to believe later on that they were bad. Whoa, that guy did the Holocaust, but he used to look after my kids. He was such a nice dude. Um, the conclusion- so the conclusion he draws is that Hitler was something called a mismatch, which Gladwell defines- <laughs> Gladwell, oh, I can't wait for this shit. Gladwell defines this as someone who seems like they're telling the truth when they're actually lying, or vice versa. That's just he wasn't lying. Lying. But That's Hitler just wasn't even lying. lying. Hitler was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna kill the Jews," and that's what he did. And what, at what point did he lie? Well, he, he was a bad guy. Well, he, he gave him the he, fucking special handshake. He uh, gave he him a wink that- of irony. He said that he was going to just stop his territorial expansion with the Sudetenland, and then he didn't. And that's because he's this thing that Gladwell discovered called his fingers crossed behind his back. That was the thing. More or less. If you think about it this way, right? What Gladwell has just done is compare Sandra Bland to Hitler with 300 pages in between to try and make sure you don't notice. Incredible. Damn. Because Sandra why, Bland why do people hit- lie and then make problems for well-intentioned people like the cops? Because Sandra Bland and Hitler were both mismatches whose naturally puzzling nature combined with the, quote, power of context confused otherwise fine people with the best possible intentions. I love to get confused yeah, by yeah, Hitler. Sandra Bland did the double handshake because she wanted to die. <laughs> yeah. Is it what? Sandra Bland tried to shake the cop's hand but accidentally went for his gun. Like, what the fuck, Gladwell? Damn. Because he was an Italian-American cop, and therefore his hands were his guns. Yeah. These are weapons. <laughs> she reached for my weapon. Um, yeah. What the fuck am I hearing? I mean, this is... This is... It's grim. Ugg. It's grim. Ugh. It's really... Not good. It's really... Really not, <laughs> really good. not good. And also how, no like, the main, like, the main problem with Hitler, apparently, was that he lied. Because if yeah. only Hitler had, had been more honest, then there wouldn't have been the whole... Hitler problem yeah. of like like World War Two wouldn't have happened if like people had just been like hey don't trust this Hitler dude as though like <laughs> as though like the whole of World War Two was like a fucking like the Sting like classic short con where it's like Hitler, Hitler tricked everyone into signing over from Poland the, from the police station. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like inside man. Um, so I'll carry on. Here is Gladwell's discussion about Bernie Madoff. Um, oh, boy. And so what we have is we have the police, politicians, because um, like these people couldn't possibly be stupid or idiots. There must be some other explanation. And now finance guys. So this is a story about a hedge fund called Renaissance Technologies that found itself invested with Bernie Madoff and decided to then conduct an investigation into their investment with Madoff, who they found immediately was an obvious fraud. That's a dangerous so, business, starting to conduct investigations if you're a hedge fund. Like, that's, what, yeah. that's, how, that's how you get, like, hyoid bone deficiencies. Hey, this huge pile of gold teeth that we have in our office, where did these come from? <laughs> so, did Renaissance Technologies sell off at stake in Madoff? No. They cut their stake in half. After Madoff was exposed, federal investigators sat down with the fund manager and asked him to explain why they didn't sell everything when they realized he was a fraud. And the manager said, I never, as a manager, really entertained the thought that it was actually fraudulent. <laughs> what? So what? Finance, uh, f- trust, trust no one, not even yourself. <laughs> <laughs> So on, um, on the one hand, right, we have this like mismatch thing, and on the other, we have a hedge fund manager lying to the SEC. <laughs> and one of these, is, yeah, what? totally we'll implausible. I love this guy being like, "Well, I was thinking, you know, well, we should stop investing in that guy because he's probably a fraud." But then I'm thinking, "But I'm the guy who said we should invest in him in the first place. So why the fuck am I listening to me?" <laughs> I should listen to someone smart like Bernie Madoff because he tricked me in the first place and he's saying keep the money invested in me. So why should I listen to myself who's fucking dumb over that guy who's smart? It was a Long Island Island based hedge fund. So yeah, that's basically completely right. Um, Yeah, he was never willing to he was willing to admit that he didn't understand what Madoff was up to, but he was never willing to believe he was an out and out liar. He and you can hear the capital letters on these next words coming up defaulted to truth. Damn. Yeah. So, no, finance guys couldn't be stupid or liars. No, that's impossible. Whereas if he'd had his own, like, private rice farm allotment, then he probably would have been able to work it out. (laughs) He didn't need enough rice. I mean, it's like, this is, like, unless you're, like, kind of an idiot or, like, deliberately not seeing things, it's like, this is very obvious. It's like, they figured out this is a Ponzi scheme, and they're like, all right, so we obviously don't want, like, I don't know how much they had in there. We don't want to lose the entire amount, but, like, well, if we lose half, we have the potential of like getting interest pay, continue to get interest payments until this thing blows mm-hmm. up, or or like worst case scenario, we can write off half, which would be great for us. And instead, Gladwell is like, "All right, this is the thing called the the friendship <laughs> phenomenon, <laughs> where he thought Bernie Madoff was nice." <laughs> Oh, fuck. We, uh, we've discovered that people's decision-making capacity can be heavily influenced by whether or not they think they're going to get their dick sucked. <laughs> kind, of went, kind of went to a Joker voice there. And I was just oh, struck by the idea. how I got this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I have one more uh, Gladwell story. And this one actually ends. This one's a really happy. It's a happy ending. Okay. For a we needed it after this. Damn. Well, I think all these kind of had happy endings because, like, the result was we understand each other now more mm. because yeah. yeah. like, it's not two Americas anymore. <laughs> yeah, red- even the Hitler thing, like you know, Gladwell used that to make us understand stuff more. So it's like it, technically everything's a happy ending. Yeah, so what the, Gladwell's going to give us the first <laughs> which is which, which is what I'm when I'm when I'm arguing with the people at the massage parlor. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you- yeah, that's Gladwell is Alan Dershowitz when he's like, I've never gotten a massage from anyone who isn't in my family. <laughs> I, I've and never seen even like, a film like, with a happy ending. I, I only ever I, watched I, The Pianist. <laughs> I've only had sex with my family members. <laughs> Alan, why are you on TV? But I did not inhale. Uh, I've only ever had sex with my family members, and we're all one big human family. I like that he's, he, he what he actually said was weirder, right? He said he had a perfect yeah. sex life. Yeah, a perfect, yeah. perfect I've never, sex I've life. Never, I've never missed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has really accurate cum Can shots. Can you say the same, David? <laughs> he is. Uh, Dershowitz is like. We're going to find out that he's just like, he's an anti-Semitic Russian guy who's just dedicated his career to making Jews look Allegedly. as worse as it's possible. It's going to be the reverse of that movie about the Nazi who finds out that his mom's <laughs> Jewish. And he just finds out yeah. that his mom was like a deep cover Nazi. Uh, yeah, because yeah. it's just like, it's so not good for Jewish people that we have this guy on TV who's just like, and another thing, uh, uh, Palestinians are bugs, and uh, my friend the pedophile was very nice. <laughs> Although, he is, he is disproving like, like the stereotype the, that like all Jews are incredibly competent and devious lawyers. That's true, that's true. He's a dog shit lawyer, it seems. Uh, so I've got. I'm gonna do our, our one last one, and this is I saved it for last. It's Gladwell's story about the CIA. Oh, we learning love to it. understand. Yes. Oh, hell yeah! Uh, and it's the story about the CIA learning from a Cuban defector about Cube, the Cuban intelligence agency's understanding of CIA's presence in the country, and having it slowly revealed to them that every single one of their agents in Cuba was actually a double agent working for Havana, and that every <laughs> single one of their supposed agents in the Eastern Bloc was actually, you guessed it. A double agent. Maybe it was. Like well, C- you know, like every day, every day is a chance to like learn. New maybe it was. Maybe it was up. a mistake to stuff this entire like omni powerful federal agency with a bunch of like Yale dudes who jerked off in a coffin with their dads. Um, Why did we I mean, lose the not, Vietnam War? Let's well, not go there were so rice far farmers. Profile. Mm, that's true. <laughs> so. So after this was after this was after this came out, Fidel Castro then rubbed salt to the wound by releasing a documentary because the Cubans had recorded everything the CIA had been King. doing in their country King. for at least 10 years. King. <laughs> On the screen, identified by name, were, was every CIA officer supposedly under deep cover. There was video <laughs> of every advanced CIA gadget, transmitters hidden in picnic baskets and briefcases, detailed explanations of which park bench CIA Wait, officers used. CIA Yogi, Yogi the Bear. <laughs> like, oh, oh, don't mind this, just this picnic basket. Just, just na- Deta- named CIA officer officers, Dibble. but all of the names are extremely stupid. It's like tremulous <laughs> Vanderbilt the 15th. <laughs> Detailed explanations of which park bench CA officers would use to communicate with their sources and how the CIA would even use different colored shirts to secretly signal their contacts. It's like a it's hanky like- coat. <laughs> the CIA yeah. are like a fucking gay club. <laughs> yeah, it's hanky coat. Yeah. Damn. A lot of the CIA agents had actually <laughs> A, a long tracking shot even showed a CIA officer stuffing cash and instructions inside a fake plastic rock. It's like what? they did cinematography. They've, no, they've been the using the fake plastic rock in Russia in like 2011. So they haven't learned from this at all. An- another. Please, please do not look at the rock. Act as if the rock is not here. <laughs> yeah, fake, another. Please talk directly into the rock. <laughs> fake plastic rock, my favorite Radiohead song. 
another caught a CIA officer stashing secret documents for his agents inside a wrecked car in a junkyard. And in a third, a CIA officer looked for a package in long grass with the side of the road, was wife fumed impatiently in the car, and both of them were like, miked. <laughs> How much of being a CIA officer is just stuffing $100 bill wads into things? <laughs> I have to figure it's a non-negligible amount. Into a fake plastic and, stripper. Yeah. So, here's- here, okay, so the conclusion that I think anyone could reasonably draw from this is that the CIA is like one of the, it, it, they're all Laurel and Hardy. Clown like, shoes. Everything the CIA does is like it's from a Laurel and Hardy movie. Just, a, just as a parenthetical, my favorite CIA incompetence story is that they got their entire network in Beirut rolled up by Hezbollah on the basis that their secret meeting place was a pizza hut, which they used the code name for Pizza. On the basis that who would stake out- Oh, it's pedo shit. It's pedo shit. (laughs) It is. But, like, on the basis that who would stake out every pizza place in Beirut? And it turned out the answer to that was Hezbollah. So- (laughs) Yeah, it's not like they're just, like, a shitload of these people. And, like, the thing they want to find the most is the CIA station. Also, also, um, the station chief, William F. Buckley, no relation. Oh, I think I'm secure. Yes. Just William Buckley, yeah. No relation. Uh, he uh, would just take the same part, same route to work every day. Like they legitimately just thought they were too stupid to notice any of this. It's like one of the. It's like one of the most arrogant ways like the American Empire has ever conducted it. Like I think that they le- legitimately thought like Arabs were mm-hmm. too stupid. Well, to I mean, you it learned out. that from watching us. Like all MI six ever did was pedophilia, and if the, we weren't doing that, then communism. Like. <laughs> Well, actually, the MI6 was incredibly default to truth because it was all like, to be an MI6 officer, you had to be posh enough that even if you suspected the other person might be a commie, you had to ignore it because you went to school with their dad and like had sex with their grandfather (laughs) in a shower. So here's the thing. This is the conclusion that we've, I think, and the listeners most likely have all drawn from this. Do you want to hear what conclusion Malcolm Gladwell draws from this? Oh, please. Of course. The Should most, have stuffed that money into this bussy. The most sophisticated <laughs> intelligence service in the world has just been played for a fool. This is what makes no sense about the story. It would be one thing if Cuba had deceived a group of elderly shut-ins, but the Cubans fooled the CIA, an organization <laughs> that takes the problem of understanding strangers very seriously. The Cubans no are doing like Viva La Bam style pranks at the fucking old folks' home. <laughs> just Don Vito as James Hazus Angleton. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So Malcolm Gladwell can't just can't draw the conclusion from all the overwhelming evidence put in front of him that the cia is as corrupt as it is stupid (laughs) he's like well something must be going on with all of these uh, proper nouns there must be some kind of very subtle and interesting explanation for why this group of inbred yalies kept getting taken for fools by communists in the 60s It's because they didn't spend 10,000 hours, uh, like, stuffing $100 bills into things. Well, exactly. They didn't do it well enough. <laughs> it's like, it's like, and this is the most fundamental thing about Gladwell. He can't imagine that the police, CIA, finance, industry, politics, whatever, he can't imagine that it's filled with transparently evil and monumentally stupid people. So he keeps having to come up with, like, cute theories to do with the show Friends as to why this is all fine. Amazing. Because he has... Yeah, because it's again, it's, it's like the seven-year-old's view of the world thing. It's like those are the adults, so they can't possibly be wrong. I, I, think, I, Milo, found, I think that's right. I found, by the way, uh, I found Steven Pinker criticizing Malcolm Gladwell, and he owns him by doing his own thing back at him. 
because Malcolm okay. Gladwell interviewed a guy and he talked about the eigenvalue, right? Like one word, eigenvalue. And he, because he had only ever heard it said, called it the eigon, I-G-O-N value with a capital I. And Steven Pinker calls this the, with all caps, eigon value problem. When a writer's education on a topic consists in interviewing an expert, he is apt to offer generalizations that are banal, obtuse, or flat wrong. So that's amazing. We have yeah. literally the exact... He's, he's criticizing Malcolm Gladwell by being Malcolm Gladwell. In the end, you know, we all become Gladwell. It's Damn. true. You either, you either um, die Stephen Pinker or you live to see yourself become Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so I wanted before we before we close up here because I think we're getting close to time. Um, I want to do a quickly run around the table and see how we're all physically feeling after we just went through a distilled twenty cc shot of Gladwell. Damn. Exhausted, man. Damn, just having my just had my back doors blown in by knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like it's I, more it's it's more depressing than I think the Stephen Pinker thing because it is. There's, Pinker, no, there's no Pinker, whimsy to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pinker's like, yeah, he's like, oh, we're, we, what if we did cloud ships yeah. and the rationality Pinker, internet and all that? Pinker is like neoliberal Willy Wonka, where you know it's gonna kill a bunch of children, <laughs> but you're like, but he's like, oh, well, what if we had a, a chocolate river? But Gladwell is is dismal. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel I, I feel yeah. like the fake plastic rock. <laughs> Felix, how yeah, you that's doing? that's how I that's that's exactly how I feel. Like when we read Pinker, like it was a blast. Like his his shit is so fun because like he has the same worldview mm-hmm. basically, like poli- the same view of the political economy and everything. But like his solutions are such fucking yeah. brain dumb shit. It's like oh, you came to have a good time and like you put like it's so stupid that I know he at least did some work on this book. But Gladwell is just like. It's boring writing and his the things he ends up saying after he drags you through just some tortured analogy is like, oh, uh, well, like black people actually like getting killed. <laughs> like it just like it's insane. And then just something brutal and horrifying. Mm, yeah, I, I feel like I've just been in like I feel like I've been in purgatory. Yeah, like, <laughs> even even the wildest of them, which was for my money, the uh, why don't more people smoke cigarettes one was still, like, deeply unsatisfying because Pinker would have been weirder about it. He would have had them all smoke yeah. pipes or something. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Pinker, Pinkers would be like, you know, what if uh, one in every 100 cigarettes, uh, they had a pink powder and it blew up and you yeah. look silly. That yeah, sounds amazing. Just, like, you also, but, you, but you also won a million dollars, but it was only in tax credits, so you had to earn a million dollars to get it. Yeah, mm. and it's like Stephen. That's a fucking dog shit idea. But you worked really hard. Yeah. Thinking you, you about know that. what it is. You know what it is. Pinker is the Joker, and I mean that in like the '60s or the animated series sense, where he's like yeah. the agent of chaos or whatever. Uh-huh. Gladwell is the Riddler. Like he will just lead you through all of this complicated bullshit in his novelty suit, covered in question marks, and you get to the end of it, and you're like, "This is stupid. Why did I do this?" It, there yeah. was no point to this. You didn't know why. No. Yeah. Oh, man. I think, I think that's 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 absolutely true about um about Pinker and and Gladwell. And I think also because we're at like an hour and seventeen, I think that's where I'm probably going to call it. Um, so, time of death. Time of death. 
time that we all died, an hour and Listen. 17 minutes of having to discuss Malcolm Gladwell. Fellas, do you know what's really crazy about acting? Is you know that Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't even really attacked by a bear? Like, that was just CGI. And yet, he was, like, putting oh, faces wild. and stuff. It was crazy. <laughs> and yet, somehow, Malcolm Gladwell wild. uses that insight to justify police homicide. Well, what if police were bears? Yeah, what if that? So I think it only falls to me now to say, Felix, thank you so much for coming back on again and My pleasure. <laughs> subjecting yourself to pop science for a second time. Yeah, I will only do Stephen Pigger again. I'm trying to preserve my own health. I'm getting old. Yeah, no, Pink- indeed. So this is this is also a, a medical note to all listeners. Just read Stephen Pinker. You can't handle Gladwell. Yeah, and this it, was true. No, yeah. you really can't. If your mind being blown persists for four or more hours, see a physician... Um, practice self-care, drink water, because this is hard. This is hard on us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, train professionals on closed ideas courses. Yes. So, yeah. uh, with that in mind, uh, yeah, thank you very much all for listening. Thank you, Felix. And we will see you next week. Later. Yeah. Cheers, yep. guys. Bye. Peace. Peace.